when the day of Pentecost had come, the day they didn't know they were preparing for, the day Jesus promised would come, the day when the thrush nightingales were chirping, the hum of urban merchants and foreign pilgrims bartering in various languages and dialects at street level could be heard on the second floor of this rented space, a day thick with possibility and thin on hope. The disciples were all together in one place. In the 10 days after our Lord's ascension, the disciples, including Mary, mother of Jesus, are in an upper room praying, seeking, and waiting for God. And they do this because they expect God to act powerfully. For 10 days, they kneel, stand, sway back and forth, dance, hold hands, second-guess themselves, wrestle with doubt, and struggle in faith together. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. While the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is spontaneous on Pentecost, there appears to be a dimension of preparation, not in the sense that Mary and the other disciples knew exactly what would happen, but in the sense that they were praying together because something had happened and something else might happen. My maternal grandmother served as the minister of music in my childhood church for 40 years. That's a long time to work with church people. Amen? <laughs> and with that pastor that she worked with that last 15, God bless him. <laughs> and because my grandmother was the minister of music in our child, my childhood church for 40 years, that means that my Thursday nights at 7 o'clock were spent in choir rehearsal from the cradle. At the end of every rehearsal, my grandmother would tell the choir members, well, we've rehearsed, and now when Sunday comes, I want you to let the Holy Spirit have its way. We don't know just how it will show up. My grandmother, a faithful Christian her entire life, understood that our encounters with God are simultaneously rehearsed and spontaneous. The best jazz musicians are classically trained. In continuity with the original disciples, with the saints across two millennia and the contemporary global body of Christ on this very day, we are assembled in an upper room of our very own, praying, seeking, waiting. The Holy Spirit, God's very breath, 
that wind that blows where it wills, that force that quickens the dead, that raises the hair on our heads, that pricks our hearts when we've wronged loved ones and enemies alike. This same Holy Spirit is dancing around and about us, a mighty rushing wind who enables us to hear the glorious deeds of God in our own idiom and tongue. It is this Spirit who sweeps into us on the day we are baptized, who comforts the dying with peace, who soothes the suffering, who shields the joyous, and, 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 and it is this same spirit who molds chaos into a staging ground for God's creativity. We hear it in Genesis, the day before the first day. The Spirit of God hovers over the face of deep chaos and proceeds to shape chaos into a masterpiece. We hear it again in Matthew's Gospel, in the chaotic context of Roman occupation and imperialism, when the Holy Spirit broods over the deep chaos of a Jewish peasant girl's womb. And they conspire, Mary and the Holy Spirit, to make the word flesh. A birth, mind you, that eventually upended that same empire. The Holy Spirit has a long track record of stepping into the muck, mire, and mess of history as a midwife of grace. Where is the chaos in your life? Don't look at the person next to you. the easiest place to go. They're the chaos. I didn't ask about them. I asked about the chaos in your life, in your story, in your situation. The moment you can pinpoint that chaos, you are well positioned to scout out the Holy Spirit's whirling dervishes of freedom and liberation, the Holy Ghost's power to quicken, the Spirit of God's ability to be a gushing well for the parched, a lustrous flame for the cold, a powerful gust of wind for the gasping. In a 41-year-old essay, Annie Dillard compares Sir John Franklin's failed Arctic expedition with the innocent worshipers in her Catholic parish. Famously, Franklin and his crew carried a 12-day supply of coal for the entire projected two or three years voyage and used what room they had for extra coal to store useless finery. In a now-famous literary tirade, Dillard turns the mirror to church-going Christians and asks this, quote, Does anyone have the foggiest idea of what sort of power we so blithely invoke? It is madness to wear velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our seats. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. End quote. 
my grandmother knew what Christians across history have wisely observed for a very, very long time. Keep your crash helmets and your life preservers close by. The Holy Spirit is here. Amen.